0: From understanding a global economic crisis to crunching the numbers at the grocery till, she makes it easy and helps keep more money in your wallet. This is For What It's Worth with Rabina ahmed Haq.
1: Welcome everybody to this week's episode of For What It's Worth. We are heading into Mother's Day weekend. Uh, for those of you who are celebrating, I hope you've got that gift ready. I know that I still have to buy something for my mom. Uh, it's always hard to buy something for her because I feel like I've just run out of ideas. Like when I was a kid, I was so creative. I would always make something for her. That just seems a little adolescent now. But, you know, in some ways, I, I rely a lot on my kids They'll make something, and then I'll add something in that she's sort of mentioned in the last little while that she needs. She's mentioned a Google Home, you know, where you can sort of talk to this machine. She finds it fascinating when she comes to my house that I can set an alarm and ask it what the weather is going to be. She doesn't have one. So I'm thinking that's what I'm going to get her. Um, hopefully this is going to air at a time when she's not listening or after I've given it to her so she won't know, but it doesn't really matter. I think she, she's not she's not someone who gets surprised anymore. She'll be able to say something like, I knew you were going to get that because you asked me a lot of questions after I mentioned it. Uh, so uh, however you're celebrating this weekend, happy Mother's Day. And for those of us who don't have our moms with us, uh, I hope that uh, you find comfort in today. Thinking about your own mom and your own relationship uh, with her. Uh, we have a fantastic show uh, today coming up. We're going to talk to Craig Lord. He's our uh, national online journalist. He publishes a newsletter called Homeschool about the ins and outs of finding a real term. So when you're shopping for a new home, most of us work with a real estate agent, but that relationship uh, is really important when it comes to uh, negotiating the price of the home, understanding the process of finding uh, that home, just sort of guiding you through all the ins and outs of home ownership uh, and getting to home ownership, I should say. And so how do you choose the right realtor? Do you just walk into an open house and say, hey, you'll do? Or do you ask a friend who's a realtor and say, hey, you'll do? Um, you know, this is someone you're going to spend a lot of time with uh, and you're going to spend a lot of money based on their recommendations. So Craig, will Walk us through all the things that you should be looking for uh, when you are finding a real looking for a real estate agent, and the things that you should be aware of when you're working with the realtor um, of what you're signing up for when you are with them. And we're also going to be speaking to Alison Venditti. She is the owner of Moms at Work, an organization that uh, really supports uh, work uh, moms who are in the workplace. And we're going to talk about this shift to in-person work and how it can have a major, how it could have rather, a major financial impact on working moms. So for the last three years, so many of us have heard this messaging from our employer that remote work is here to stay, hybrid work is here to stay, we're going to hot desk, we're going to have you in one day every two weeks. And many of us made decisions based on that information. We moved away from the city. So we're thinking, well, you know, I got to commute in. 2 hours but only once every 2 weeks so what i'd rather have this bigger home you know out in of town that's uh, you know a little bit more easier to get a, get around uh, a lot of us have built home offices so we've spent money on a better desk better computer maybe soundproofing that room all of that stuff costs money if all of a sudden now you're asked hey you got to come in three four days a week all of that money might have been spent in vain and so we'll be talking to Allison about how mums may really be Uh, the ones that suffer the most if employers ask their workers to come back full-time. RBC Bank has already made that announcement that they want to have their employees back in the office Four days, minimum three days a week, and so that means the majority of the time you are uh, doing your work in person in the office. And this is just a prediction uh, from my from my perspective. But if RBC starts to post better profits than the other banks, then they're just going to follow suit, right? They're going to say, "Well, there are com- you know they've got this competitive advantage of getting people in office that's obviously working." So we're going to get our people back into the office as well, so that we can uh, be on equal playing field, as they say. Uh, during the federal workers' strike, which is now um, which is now over, uh, remote work was one of the sticking points. Now it wasn't the major point; the major major point was wages, but remote work was something that uh, the union was asking for. Now, in the end, it wasn't uh, added to the collective agreement, but on a case by case basis, uh, departments are allowed to look at. Workers' right to work from home, and if they can make it happen, uh, they're supposed to try to work it out with that employee. And so that's a shift, really, uh, towards making remote work a major part of our work life. It's not something a nice to have; it's something that you know some people must have. And in many cases, we've discovered that many of us work better from home uh, because of less distractions. Because we may have our own social anxieties. Because we, uh, you know, we're afraid to get on public transit after going through three years of a pandemic. There's a number of reasons why remote work uh, definitely is the future. But before we go, I want to talk about this new report out by Nerd Wallet. It's a personal finance website that talks about credit card debt in Canada, and it finds that the majority of Canadians have used a credit card in the last 12 months for essential purposes, so to pay a utility bill, to buy groceries, to buy something that you have to purchase, not just for buying clothes or going out for dinner. Uh, Not None of that. It's for essential purposes. And it shows that uh, because of rising costs, people are relying more and more on their credit cards to pay their daily expenses. And this is a really dangerous place to be when you can't cover your essential costs through your own salary. And now you have to go to a credit card to make that happen. And it's not just because you're collecting points. It's because you just don't have the cash in the bank to um, actually, make those bills, and so that could mean increased debt uh, for Canadians, increased personal loans for Canadians, and going forward, as life gets more expensive and interest rates remain high, that could be another payment, another uh, bill that is getting more and more difficult for Canadians uh, to pay. That credit card bill, we all know, go up goes up pretty quickly if you don't make that full payment when it is due. We are going to take a quick break. I'm Rabina Ahmed-Huck, and this is For What It's Worth.
0: You're listening to For What It's Worth with Rabina Ahmed-Huck.
1: RBC Bank is one of the first major Canadian companies to formally ask its workers to come back to work in person for the majority of the week. In March, they stated they wanted their employees back in the office for up to four days a week. And this comes after hearing throughout the pandemic that the new normal would mean more work from home and less in-office time needed. As this may be seen as an annoyance to many workers, for working parents, especially mothers, this may be a financial setback as many women have made big changes in their lives to accommodate a majority work from home lifestyle. To talk about this and more, we're joined by Allison Venditti. What did this shift back then mean for working parents, especially for working mothers?
0: If we go right back to the beginning, I think I would describe it as crippling because as much as people look back and they say, Oh, well, that's when remote work started. I was like, that's not remote work. The remote work is when you have, you know, your own office and the kids are at school. This was, you know, people on top of each other in quarantine, uh, trying, trying to make the best of a really, really awful situation and struggling. So we know we've seen all the mental health numbers come out, come out, especially for, for mothers and caregivers. Uh, it was crippling. So going right back to the beginning, I think it was, it was a very, very hard shift. Um, and that, just showed how well we did even under the most horrible circumstances.
1: And you know, at that time, I remember a lot of people saying to me, oh, well, you're used to this because you've worked from home for so many years. But I always would respond to them that this is not working from home. This is surviving from home. Kids are online, uh, doing school. My spouse is home now 24-7. There's a lot more chaos that I'm not used to, you know, usually I have my own quiet home office. So that was, you know, even though we were forced to be at home, that's not really what working from home is, but we've kind of adjusted now to this new normal and a lot of uh workers are starting to realize the benefits of working from home um how is today's remote work environment how is that benefiting working moms if they are working uh, remotely from home
0: the studies that came out from the pandemic and even before that we were very unaware of how much emotional labor how much caregiving responsibility how much you know home responsibility, even with like dual work, like with two working parents, you know, women were doing almost double the amount of that work. And once we're working remotely, it gives you a lot of your time and hours back. So for example, if you're doing already doing, you know, 10 to 15 extra hours of childcare, and you're also commuting 10 to 15 hours, I'm like, you get all of that time back and it makes everything a lot more manageable. So that was the first thing I'd say is that it created more, more ability to be More present, and also to like get regain some of your time back that you know used to be you know spent in in transit basically.
1: And now a lot of companies are starting to announce, RBC being one of the first banks to say, you know, we want our employees back up to four days a week, which is basically full-time work again. Um, How could this switch really impact women? Uh, Going back to a model that we haven't really seen since March 2020, what could this really do for working moms uh, going forward?
0: So I think I'm going to call a spade a spade here, and it has really nothing to do with remote work. It has to do with control. Right, so there's been a huge push in the labor movement and for employee first, and really asking for the things we need, um, including diversity and equity initiatives. And you know, companies being very, very heavy-handed with the like you must come back and not providing a reason because they don't have to because they're the employer uh, has been very hard to watch and stomach. And I think that a lot of women. Um, You know, are still pushing back and will be leaving organizations that do not accommodate them, who are not valuing them. And and we're seeing it. We're seeing it happen. We're seeing a lot of women becoming self-employed, a lot of people becoming consultants, uh, a lot of people starting businesses or going to places that are that are valuing them and trusting them uh, to keep working, you know, even part time from home.
1: Now, this is an argument I hear over and over again, and in some ways, I agree with a part of this, uh, you know, what happens to collaboration, uh, what happens to career growth, the things that happen just uh, naturally when you're in the presence of others, conversations that happen naturally, that simply just can't happen over Zoom or, you know, a phone call that you have to schedule to make. Um, Is there a point that's being made there that working moms who choose to stay remote uh, may be missing out on some career growth if they choose to stay fully remote?
0: I think whether you're a working mom or working anybody, there's, there's choices to be made. Not all, like not all jobs need deep collaboration. Not all jobs require that. And also like doing it daily isn't, isn't the necessity. So when I look at this stuff, I'm an HR professional. I do, a I do a lot of work, you know, in terms of, you know, employee experience and that I was like, it's just a bit garbage, right? It's, We want to go back to the things that we knew and were comfortable with because it gives us a sense of control. And I just don't think that's true. There's lots of ways that you can create collaboration. There's lots of ways that you can have, you know, a once a month employee event that doesn't require you to, you know, really claw people back to the office four days a week. So that argument's been made, but it has not been made well. Um, And anything that I've heard has been really weak in terms of the reasoning.
1: And we've really been fed this uh, line that companies want to be remote, they want to be hybrid, they see the value in uh, keeping employees at home, there's a there's a real estate cost to, to them that they don't have to bear, uh, their employees are happier. And because of all that messaging, a lot of families have made decisions like they've moved out of the city, they've built home offices, they've bought equipment for their home offices thinking this is their new reality. Uh, what do you say to that, all this money that's been spent up front? uh because they've been told working moms have been told hey this remote working situation it's going to be around forever
0: i think that it was a really nice idea but i think that everybody sort of knew we've worked with you know corporate we live in a capitalist society that's based on making as much money as possible and it is not employee first it's why one of the like big sticking points for all the striking like CRA workers was remote work. It, it does make a difference to people. It helps people to afford homes. It helps really, it would help the economy in smaller, you know, in smaller towns. Um, but it, it's it's hard to stomach because we were fed the, we promise, we have no intention of, and then it was like flipping your head. So in my mind, I was like, they just lied to them. So what does that say about your employer employee relationship? It's not good.
1: Yeah, exactly. And and I think that employers, not that I like to come to their defense, but there was this overwhelming message coming from companies like Shopify, right, that made this big declaration, we're going to be remote all the time forever. Uh, Not that they've gone back on that, but they've also cut their workforce significantly. So there's been big changes that have come uh, since big companies have made these promises uh, where a person who might think, oh, my job is safe, but now I don't have a job. And now they're in a market where they're looking for work, where that employer is saying, yeah, we'll hire you, but you got to come in uh into work. Uh, so what's the ideal situation now? How do we move forward where we recognize that especially working mothers uh, need to have increased flexibility, more re- remote working options, but companies say, you know, we want you in the office so that we can like you said control uh the time that you are working. What, what where's the equal where's the equal uh, uh where do we find the medium ground?
0: my response to companies is I'm like, well, then you can take your DEI initiatives and throw them out. Right. If you're really invested in helping create more equity at work, uh, more, um, you know, equal opportunity, then that has to apply to everybody that has to apply. And, you know, this is about, you know, working mothers, this portion, but, you know, I'm, I'm very focused on like the numbers that we're seeing outside in terms of the amount of individuals with disabilities and other like equity deserving groups that have really flourished during this. And so for companies to say, yes, we're committed to all these diversity initiatives and whatever, but like, but not like that. Um, It's gross. It's it's actually gross. So I was like, they spent all this money and time, whatever, and they're sort of like pushing it back down because they only want to go back to a way of work that, you know, really worked in the 1960s. And I think that people are beyond that.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really good point, is that the pandemic did make us wake up and realize that a lot of people have been working under less than ideal conditions. Uh, women were burnt out, workers were burnt out, and part of that had to do with the commute, the average commute being 72 minutes in Canada. Uh, that's time that you can spend with your family, time that you can spend uh, doing that unpaid labor that you have to do anyways when you get home. Uh, you can spread that out over the day and just take some burden off of your evening uh, that you don't have to spend doing all those things. Uh, Do companies, you know, you talk about DEI uh, initiatives. uh, Do companies recognize that still with the unpaid labor that women uh, still bear the burden of when they get home and how that can impact uh, their ability to be productive in their jobs?
0: I think for companies, there has been an increase in understanding of the amount of unpromotable tasks that women are assigned at work so not even looking at what they're doing at home but what they're being asked to do at work which is essentially like corporate housekeeping you know take the minutes of the meetings do you like that and a lot of that has gone away with remote work because you can't just like dump it on the first woman that walks into the walks into the room so i think that there's a lot of equity that has happened that way but no I don't think companies have any recognition for you know what people are going through at home Um, I think that there's a real again because it's based on control I think there's a lot of pushback in trying to reestablish you know who's in charge and we've seen that with the increased unionization in the United States we've seen that with Starbucks we've seen that with all sorts of companies Um, and in my mind we're seeing that again with Canadian companies who are just like throwing a hissy fit and stomping their feet and demanding everybody get back.
1: Alison, uh, it's always so great to speak to you and put into perspective what's happening when it comes to women and their experience in the workforce. And this is new ground, as they say, uh, when it comes to working. Uh, we, you know, women are having conversations with their bosses that they never thought they would ever be having. Um, and now a lot of that is circling around remote work, but not just necessarily, you know, being at home and working, but how much flexibility are you going to give me now that the government isn't mandating me being at home? So you can't use that as, you know. That's That wasn't your company policy. That was a government mandate. Now, what are you as a company going to do for me to recognize that this actually works? And so uh, I really appreciate you coming on the program today and and breaking this all down. Thanks for having me. That's Alison Venditti. She is the owner of Moms at Work. And just a little bit of food for thought before I let you go. There was a survey that was done by the recruiting company Robert Half. It found that 36% of working moms would accept a salary reduction. If they could be fully remote. And that's only compared to 29% of dads who are willing to do the same. So women are willing to make less money if you can let them work at home full-time. And 6 in 10 working moms plan to look for a new job if they are asked to come back to work full-time. So that's something that companies need to consider when they ask their workforce to come back full-time because a lot of their employees are working moms and they may be making different decisions for themselves if you ask them to come back to work in person uh, three, four, maybe even five days a week. When we come back, we're going to be joined by Craig Lord. He's a global national online journalist and the author of Homeschool, a monthly newsletter that's focused on real estate. And this week, we're talking about how to find a realtor. I'm Rubina Ahmad and this is for what it's worth.
2: Baby, I know.
0: You're listening to "For What It's Worth" with Rabina Ahmed Hawk.
1: When shopping for a house, most home buyers seek the advice of a realtor. This is someone who will set up home showings, guide you through the whole home buying process. But how do you actually find a realtor that's right for you? You're going to be spending a lot of time with this person. They're going to be helping you with the biggest purchase probably of your whole life. To talk about how to find that perfect match, we are joined by Craig Lord. He is the national online journalist for Global News and the author of Homeschool, a monthly newsletter focused on real estate. Hi, Craig. Welcome to the program.
2: Hi, Rubina. Thank you for having me.
1: Yeah, thanks for being on again. And I, it's always great to get your newsletter. It's a real news you can use for anybody that's shopping for a home. And I know I struggled with this too, because a realtor is kind of like finding a partner uh, for that short period of time that's going to help you really get to the, the best home possible in the least painful way possible. What's your advice, especially for first-time home buyers who are looking for that perfect realtor to work with?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is, it's right. It's, it's, it's a bit personal. It's a bit professional. You have to find someone who's going to set you at ease, uh, but also get the job done, get you a good deal, hopefully on what's going to be your first home and make that home buying process, which can be one of the most stressful, you know, buying situations of your life a little bit smoother. So, you know, don't be afraid. This is the advice that I've heard from realtors themselves. Don't be afraid to shop around a little bit for the realtor that's right for you. You know, you can find them through social media. If there's someone, a personality that you find really uh, uh, exciting and, and really fits with your vibe, you can find them by Googling people in your area. You can most often hear from friends, experiences that they've had. Maybe you're looking to buy in a neighborhood not too far from where your friends bought Talk to them about their experience, who they work with. Did they like that person? Did they not? Um, Don't be afraid to to have a couple candidates on your roster and give them an email or a quick call and say, hey, I'm, I'm looking to buy a home in the next little while. I'm talking to you and I'm talking to two other realtors can we do a 30 minute call just so I can learn a little bit more about you before I, I you know uh, go ahead and, and choose you for for this journey because you do have to find that match. Don't be afraid to, to test the waters with one or two before you you really commit to that person who's going to help you find that, that first home hopefully.
1: You know, Craig, I remember, especially with the first home, I had a lot of anxiety when we even went into a open house and there was another realtor kind of talking to you. And I I just felt like, oh my gosh, am I breaking the rules of how to work with the realtor? And later when I talked to the realtor that we did that we were at the time working with, they said, don't worry, you can go into an open house. You can talk to other realtors. It's not like you have to always ask me the questions. Um, and I also remember asking him, you know, I've heard that realtors sometimes ask you to sign contracts and his reaction was nobody does that anymore. But is that something that realtors do do? Cause this is just information I got from one person, a, a one situation. Uh, can a realtor ask you to sign a contract to say they're exclusively, are uh, representing you and you're not really allowed to work with anybody else?
2: Yeah, so one caveat to mention off the bat is a lot of rules and regulations will vary from province to province. So depending on where you're listening to this, you know, check your local province's uh, regulations to make sure. But buyers' representation agreements, they are common. Um, one of the reasons that they exist, these kind of exclusivity agreements, is so that it, it protects realtors in a lot of way. When you think about it, if you go through a whole process with a realtor, you haven't signed anything, it's been very casual. And then at the end, they help you find your dream home and you say, eh, I'm gonna go it alone. I'm gonna negotiate this myself. Uh, and they maybe lose out on the the, the product of their hard work. Um, buyers representation agreements are there to to protect really both sides to to make uh, the expectations uh, from, from buyer and representative uh, as clear as possible, they can outline how long you'll be working together, what services they will they will typically provide. Uh, in some cases, this might be done upfront. In other cases, this might be done right before you actually negotiate that deal, put in that uh, that bid on a home. Uh, it, it can vary, but but they're not uncommon. Uh, but you you just before you sign. Make sure you understand everything that is in that contract. Have your your realtor, even have a lawyer look it over if you're if you're a little bit uh, suspicious to make sure that uh, you understand everything that's being agreed to in a potential buyer's representation and agreement.
1: But that's extra cost, Craig. Uh, you know, if I if I'm working with a realtor, they're handing me a contract saying, you know, I just want to make sure that when we do this deal, you do it with me. And then I go and hire a lawyer, especially as a first time home buyer, That's a cost that a lot of first time homebuyers just may not be able to bear.
2: I mean, in a lot of cases, and from what I've heard from a few sources, it's more and more common to forego realtors entirely, and that is a perfectly viable option. You just have to be aware of what you're getting into if you are foregoing using a realtor or some other real estate agent to represent you. Uh, There can be a lot of comfort with, with working with a realtor, but there are costs. Realtors get paid, not typically by the buyer, but Realtors get paid by the seller at the end of the transaction, the selling agent, the buying agent, they'll get a cut in, in Ontario. It's 5% of the, the purchase price usually of a home. And you have to be aware that there are costs associated to working with a realtor, even if you're not paying them directly, there's, an argument to be made that if you don't use a realtor, uh, you'll you'll save money on the on the final purchase price, um, and you just have to decide if those extra fifty thousand dollars, extra whatever it ends up being, if it's worth it to you to to have that comfort to have that guiding hand involved in in the process. So there are obviously arguments to be made to to going a it alone. It's really just a matter of are you confident? If you're a first time buyer, if you're if you're listening to this and, and you're totally new to the process you know, maybe seek out, at least for your first home, uh, a a bit of advice, a bit of help someone to, to guide you through the process, you might find that investment worth it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that this is something that going it alone, uh, you, there's a lot of risk, right? You're you're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not more than a million dollars in some cases, depending on where you're buying your home. Uh, and it's something that it's a process that can be very confusing that realtors can walk you through. Uh, one thing that I always find uh, difficult is if you have a realtor in your social circle, whether it be your relative or your friend or someone you you know through, through another friend, uh, they are often available to you if you want to buy a home. Of course, they want, they want more business and working with you means that that's going to happen. But is it always a good idea to work with a realtor who is a friend? Walk me through a little bit about the pros and cons of working with somebody you know when you are searching for your home.
2: Yeah, it goes back to kind of what we were saying at the beginning, right? That this is uh, part a a professional and part a personal relationship that you're establishing with this person who ends up being your agent. And you want to get along with them. You you don't want to feel antagonistic towards them. Um, You do run, I think, the risk if you are choosing to work with a friend that that friendship might get in the way of of what's in your best interest financially. Uh, Remember, realtors do benefit from a, a successful deal going through, it, it is in their interest to hopefully find the right deal for you, the right home for you and and get you into it. They get a, a cut at the very end. But, you know, you have to just evaluate your relationship with that person. If you're friends with a realtor, uh, is this person going to uh, do what's what's uh, what's right for our friendship going forward? Uh, sometimes you have to play hardball a little bit with your realtor, with someone who is representing you in the biggest transaction of your life to say no, to push back, be prepared to be, uh, you know, the person who says no, if a a purchase isn't right for you. And if you have to say no, when, when someone is saying, you know, I think this, this checks all the boxes for your home, you know, going forward a few months down the road uh, that might, might cause things to sour. So that, that little bit of um, removal, that separation from a, a friend relationship and a professional relationship It can really, I think, protect you from some hurt feelings and some financial costs potentially down the road.
1: Yeah, of course, because a lot of stuff comes out, and you know you, you have to remember you have to share a lot of financial information with that person as well, too, uh, not just how much you're willing to pay for that home, but you know they come across a lot of sensitive documents. You have to be, feel comfortable knowing that this person who is your friend is now going to have that information about you um, and uh, you know forever. <laughs> so you have to also be comfortable with that part of it. You've been talking, Craig, a little bit about going it alone and, and the perils of that, because it is a complicated process as buying a home, but is there ever a time where you don't need a realtor and maybe you can make this purchase without using uh, using a real estate agent?
2: Yeah, so I think more and more uh, we have seen, uh, especially through the pandemic, when we were forced to maybe separate ourselves from, from in-person visits uh, and, and rely a little bit more on technology, there are plenty of tools out there that will allow you to do your own research that we would typically have relied on a realtor to do for us. For example, there are websites that you can sign up for now, like House Sigma, which will show you uh, recent sold prices in your neighborhood. That data was not always available to to just uh, any buyer or or seller on the the market trying to gauge the conditions right now. So there's definitely opportunities if you're willing to put in the legwork to say, Okay, uh, you know, I can I can maybe buy something uh, with with my own kind of gut my own kind of research behind me. There are websites uh, that allow you to buy directly from owners. So uh, for sale by owner.com is is one I have spoken to to that platform uh, for for this story for this newsletter, you'll hear from them in the in the piece this weekend. Uh, But one of the one of the I guess cautions I guess I also have to mention just as a little caveat is uh, one of the realtors I spoke to for this story, Pretej Parekh, uh, he is in Toronto. He told me that uh, the advancements in technology, while it might seem more convenient, there are actually a couple of risks that you want to be aware of with all the access to information we have in the modern real estate market. I believe with the amount of technological advancement and information now at your fingertips as a client, it's actually even more important to work with a real estate professional. Because what I find is there is a lot of misinformation and over information um, online that is not as reliable as it may look to you at first glance. So one of the things Preetesh told me about uh, you know our modern real estate landscape is that you know AI tools might uh, might help to summarize the recent activity in a neighborhood that you're looking in, but they might not have the nuance that uh, a trained uh, realtor might bring they might. Uh, blend some some home sales together and give you an average that is inaccurate because, you know, one of those homes was a, a six bed luxury house and you're just looking for a condo in that neighborhood that might lead you to overbid for, for the condo that you're shopping for. So these are kind of the things to keep in mind. Yes, our, our technological advancements are a huge boon in so many ways right now, but they can also be uh, a bit dangerous if, if you don't really know what uh, what what context to add to the situation when you're searching.
1: Now, this is probably going to add to my next question, Craig, which is, uh, which is something that uh, realtors get criticized for all the time. But of course, a realtor is going to say that. Without me, you're never going to be able to figure out all this content that's now available. You need me to put it into context for you. And that kind of leads me to the next question. Uh, we have about 30 seconds. But, you know, r- realtors often get criticized for being the ultimate middleman you know sort of taking a cut of that sale price uh just because they were there and they happened to get you as a client at the right time is it warranted that that uh that criticism that's that's lobbed at them all the time
2: listen i could go either way uh, i bought my own home uh just a few months ago and i found the support i got from a realtor it was invaluable for me because I didn't know what I was really getting into. For someone who's maybe a little bit more experienced, they might find that a realtor doesn't add too much to their their process right now. They feel comfortable, they've, they've bought a home before, they they know what they're looking for, they know what the market they're looking for, and, and they think they can handle it on their own. So for those that feel confident, you know, I, I, I wish you the best. For those who are not um, a middleman, might be just what you need.
1: I couldn't agree more. It just really depends on where you are when it comes to your home buying experience. If it's your fourth home and you're downsizing, you may be able to do it alone. But even then, the market may have changed so tremendously since the last time that you have information, your information itself is out of date. Craig, thank you so much. We're going to be able to find all of this information in the latest edition of Home School. Uh, Can you tell us where it will be available and how people can read it?
2: Yep, it's live uh, right now on globalnews.ca. If you check uh, globalnews.ca slash money, Uh, if you're not already subscribed to money123 at globalnews.ca, uh, go go do that. It'll land right in your inbox and uh, hopefully be a nice little primer for anyone who's uh, hoping to take advantage of the spring and summer real estate markets as they heat up.
1: That's great. Thanks so much, Craig. Uh, Craig Lord is a national online journalist for global news and the author of Homeschool, as he's mentioned there where you can find it, a monthly newsletter focused on real estate. And this time... They are focusing on how to find that perfect realtor. When we come back, we're going to talk about online shopping. Through the pandemic, a lot of us have been buying things online for obvious reasons. Now Amazon, in the US at least, has just announced that they will knock $10 off your bill if you're willing to pick up the package at a central location. Will this be something that people will take advantage of? We're going to talk more about that after the break. I'm Rubina Ahmed-Huck, and this is For What It's Worth.
0: From understanding a global economic crisis to crunching the numbers at the grocery till, you're listening to For What It's Worth with Rubina Ahmed-Huck.
1: That brings us to the end of our show. Thank you so much for coming on this journey for the last hour. I hope you learned something. I know I did, especially from Craig when it comes to finding a realtor, there's a lot of things to consider when you are buying a home, whether it be your first home or your 10th home. When you're working with a real estate agent, that's a relationship that you really need to take seriously. They're guiding you through the process. And even if you you feel you're someone who's an expert at the real estate market, because you've got all this information at your fingertips, there's always different rules on if you're buying an investment property, how much you have to put down. Now you have to put down 20%. And the source of that money has to come from somewhere other than uh, a home equity line of credit. So there's all these rules that real estate agents can walk you through. You may have these ideas of how you can spend your money, and they may be able to uh, really guide you in the right direction as to what you can do with the cash uh, that you do have. Also, speaking to Allison Venditti, this is something we don't talk enough about. We've become so used to working from home, and there is pushback, absolutely, from everybody, whether you're a parent or whether you're someone who loves working in the office or not, the the, the change to go back to in-person is going to be a little bit bumpy because not everybody is on board. But especially for working moms who have made big changes in their lives, they've given up childcare space, they've changed their home, they've perhaps bought expensive equipment so they can work from home, and they now have realized there's a lot of time they spend commuting that they can now spend doing a lot of the unpaid work that still is uh, done by women. The majority of of unpaid work is done by mothers, Uh, whether it's the cooking or the cleaning or the household shopping. um, It's the moms that often pick that work up and that's done after your paid hours are done. And so having that time back, having that commuter time back uh, really means that you have extra moments in the day that you can get those things done. I know that we use this example all the time, but putting in a load of laundry while you know in between meetings really does save a lot of time because at the end of the day, you don't got to do that laundry. You've just been able to get it done somehow in little bits in your day and you've got a little bit of time for yourself. There is an argument to be made that you should be at work and you should be focused on work And you should not be worried about all that other stuff that's going on in your home uh, in order to have the best experience. But I'm really on the side of remote work really does benefit working mothers, especially those who have children under the age of 12. It's such a short amount of time where you need to be relying on a more flexible work schedule. When your kids are older and they can take care of themselves, they can let themselves in, they don't need that adult supervision. You can make a lot of different decisions when it comes to your work life. But those first 10 to 12 years, they're crucial. You need to be there. You need to be there. Uh, Sometimes my my, my kids, they haven't been able to find each other after school. So they're all confused as to because they walk home from school on their own now. And my daughter goes to the office and the office calls me and says, your daughter is here. She says she can't find your son. Now, the only way to remedy that is me booting it to the schools, figuring out what's going on. But can you imagine if I'm at work an hour away and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what's happened to my son? Usually I'm able to get there, figure it out. Uh, you know, Usually I give them a little bit of a lecture. You know, you've know, you got a plan of where you're supposed to meet. How come you didn't meet there? Uh, but all of that I can do in real time. Or my son forgot his water bottle. I can easily get to the school and give it to him. All these things that really are crucial when your kids are young, uh, we can get those done if we are working remotely or at least working remotely for part of the week. Before I let you go, I wanted to talk about Amazon. And Amazon in the States has announced that they are going to offer customers a $10 discount to pick up a purchase. And I'm wondering if you would do that, if you would buy something online, even though we've become so used to having things arrive at our doorstep, would you go pick it up at the the local depot and save yourself 10 bucks? I think a lot of us would, especially those of us who live close to it. If you live walking distance to a place where uh, you can pick that order up, why wouldn't you save 10 bucks? Amazon is also now pushing to charge uh, customers for returns. So some returns they are going to start charging customers. And this is outside of what they would charge you for if you said, oh, I just changed my mind or I don't like the color. Normally, Amazon lets you return stuff for free if you say it doesn't fit or something. But now they're saying they're going to start charging for returns. So really uh, getting away from this model of, you know, you can buy and try and return it because uh, it's costing, right? Because all that stuff goes to the landfill. Some of the stuff cannot be resold. In many cases, it can't be resold. In fact, there's an entire secondary market dedicated to selling that stuff that we return where people buy trucks and trucks of returns from Wayfair, Amazon, Walmart, and they sell it in that secondary market. So it's kind of new, but it's been returned by a customer and you can buy it at discount. So, uh, this is definitely a problem where people are buying stuff and returning it without really thinking about it. And also now if you can save some money, maybe even save the environment, not having a delivery person drive around and drop it off to you save 10 bucks on that purchase. I think I would do that, especially on uh, bigger things uh, that uh, I may just, you know, feel better picking up on my own. Uh, Thank you so much to you, the listener, for joining us today on For What It's Worth. I hope you got something out of it. Thanks to Bilal Masri, our technical producer. We will be back next week, same time, same channel. I'm Rabina Ahmed Hoc, and this is For What It's Worth.